Welcome to the Startups Roundtable podcast, where we discuss the science and art of startups with founders and the broader startup community. I'm Tony Hackett, and I've spent over a third of my B2B sales career either working for early stage startups or as a go-to-market and social selling mentor for founders and their teams. In each episode, we will explore various topics, including decision-making, team-building, and growth strategies. Before we meet today's guest, I'd like to start with an acknowledgement of country. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet. Here in Sydney, it's the Gadigal people. We pay respect to elders past, present and emerging and extend our respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people attending today. At the Startups Roundtable, today we meet Lee Rubin, the CEO and founder of Confetti. Confetti is a company that understands the power of teams, connection and change. Through a variety of in-person activities, Confetti creates cultural connections and fosters change within organisations. The company prides itself on providing innovative experiences that are fun and engaging and should inspire and motivate teams to think differently. A lot to discuss, so let's meet Lee. Lee, thanks so much for joining me today on the podcast. I'm so excited to hear about the Confetti story. wonder if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're up to right now. Well, thanks so much for having me here, Tony. I really uh, appreciate the opportunity. I'll give you a little bit of background about me and kind of my journey and what brought me to to building this company and what I'm I'm up to right now. So uh, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur from a very young age. Sometimes I look back and it doesn't fully make sense to me even, but I worked for a company out of college called ZocDoc, and that's uh, really where I got kind of this uh, understanding of the need for confetti. We were given really generous budgets to put different types of team building events together. And uh, I was often tasked with putting these experiences together amongst my actual to-do list, which I was a, a salesperson back then. And I realized how hard it was for people to put these events together. Uh, there was always this you know, worry with the vendors of whether they would show up or not, whether they were good, whether our team would have a good time. And then of course, just the the logistics and the processes of putting these events together. There were back and forth proposals with vendors and all these negotiations. Many vendors didn't even reply to emails. So it was, it was very stressful. And I really thought to myself, is there a better way to put together these events? And I thought to myself of a platform that companies could go to to find unique experiences and essentially book them in a very seamless way online. And once I started doing that, I realized that there was another missed opportunity that I wanted to incorporate into our platform, which was quality, because it means so much when the experiences are done well, and it really kind of sucks when they're not done well. So I was like, what happens if we were to only showcase the best vendors? And that's how Confetti got started. We raised our Series A under the premise of building these experiences for the face-to-face world pre-pandemic, launched our seed in August of 2019 and launched our beta for confetti in January of 2020. And before you know it, you know, we all were surprised with the pandemic and uh, we had to pivot and we pivoted over to virtual experiences. And that's where really this incredibly rewarding journey started. But I always like to share really kind of cool side story, which is from the last invoice that we got for an in-person event, the first invoice that we got for a virtual event, the span between those were 10 days. 
which is really a testament to just like the team's agility and the the ability that we had to to pivot super quickly. Uh, Today, Confetti has uh, over 5,000 customers that are ranging from small startups and agencies to big fortune 500s. And we really have an incredible team that uh, helps these companies put together all different types of events from fun team building experiences that help foster morale and and communication and bonding, diversity, equity, and inclusion, professional development that works on soft skills. And today I'm working on, I say, you know, today, but I mean it right now, uh, I'm working on the future of Confetti 2023 strategy, which is a lot. Lee, that's a cracking introduction for us. And there's so many elements. I must say the first thing that caught my mind, you said right at the start that uh, I started in sales. You make that sound like you're not in sales anymore. <laughs> I, I, my guess is that you never actually become not in sales. You're totally right. There's some things that really caught my attention as I was doing my research for this meeting today. And one was looking at the number of collections, so the different experiences that you offer. And it is such an amazing range. And as you talk about DE and I, so diversity, equity, and inclusion, you start to overlay that on the different collections you have, it would be impossible, I expect, to do that without the automation that you have, but also to have an amazing team of people. Could you maybe share your experiences of, as you've scaled, as you've grown, some of the recruiting challenges and how you've overcome those? Yeah, I um, regularly tell my team that the hardest part, I think, about building a business in general is the human component of it all. Like the fact that we we need to work with people and people are so complex and each person comes with their own backgrounds, their own traumas, their own upbringings. And so with recruiting, the first few years was incredibly difficult because when you're building a startup, there's so much ambiguity and it's it's really tough for employees to often perform in that ambiguity. You really need to have this like craving for it. So, you know, the first few hires was there was a lot of trial and error. And I have to give it to the fact that like, while maybe some of those uh, early hires uh, that that got to meet me might have been disappointed for you know that the short lived uh, relationships. I think that they taught me so much about okay, I shouldn't I shouldn't hire for this type of uh, persona. I need a different type of persona. Or like to do sales, I need someone with a bit more of an HR background. Like you're constantly learning as you're uh, recruiting new people. But we've been very lucky that. The brand that we represent is is really fun. It really kind of reels people in. So there's this natural gravitation towards applying for confetti. And I'll also say that, you know, we're very vocal about our values and we let those new hires know what those values are. And I think that gives them already a much more safe environment that excites them to join the team. What would be one or two fundamental differences when you reflect on start point to where you are today? What forced you to make those? Well, first of all, I'll say that in the beginning part of your question, I thought to myself, well, money is uh, a very huge contributor to change. Like as soon as you get funded, you all of a sudden have a new set of resources that you never had access to. And that allows you to tap into new experiments and uh, better talent and a multitude of other opportunities that are very beneficial. As for the changes, I mean, gosh, I felt I really feel like the past two, three years, 
there's just no shortage of being a business owner and the amount of changes that came with that. So, you know, for us to be an in-person events company and have to pivot during a pandemic, I, I'll never forget the amount of phone calls that I got from people that said like, Lee, I know you've been working on this company for years. And like, this must be so devastating for you, like that this is the end. And you can tell from the bounce back that I shared with you that story of how quickly we pivoted. Like, we didn't feel sorry for ourselves for a minute. We really turned a corner super quickly and were forced to change and like embrace that change. I personally love building businesses from zero. So like to me, it was this new opportunity that I could kind of reinvent myself and the company from new. And then in 2021, we got a lot of pushback and theories that our success was coming to an end because people were going back into the office. And we really started asking ourselves, like, should we go back to our original vision? Should we stay with what it is that we've seen to be successful and have been building for the past year? And then the Delta variant hit. And then 2022 was sprinkled with so many different changes from the concerns, uh, the, the global concerns of quite frankly, World War Three, like that was something that we were talking about. And you know, what kind of place does a company like Confetti have during those conversations and moving then into like the tech bubble and uh, the elements of recessions and where, where do we fit into that again? So, so many challenges and changes that we were kind of forced to adapt into. And each one has a completely different kind of learning and story behind yeah, is there one story that you'd never forget that you could share? I I think you know the the classic one is just the the pivot to the pandemic, but I think this the new conversations around recession is really kind of taken a new kind of uh, strategy and thought on our end of like what kind of company do we need to be? There's when one of the big pushbacks that we've gotten from the VC world is this misunderstanding that. Uh, confetti and culture uh, all falls into the bucket of like a nice to have. And we want to be able to really prove out what does it look like to be that must have platform, that thing that you don't give up on even during the hardest of times. And then what can we offer to our customers back so they do keep us, that we do continue to help support them during those difficult times. And those are all uh, very big uh, questions that we're slowly but surely uncovering the, the answers to. I find that so interesting because when I discovered you, my reflection was that what you're offering and the way you're doing it and the breadth and the quality and the values that you bring um, may be more important now than they ever were. Hey, Tony, I agree with you. So <laughs> I I think, you know, like when it, it's a, it's very counterintuitive, but a lot of the companies that are going through layoffs right now are still spending money with us that are still doing events. And it's really, you know, beautiful to see from our side, because it really proves out the point that during the hardest of times, like you actually need to get your team together, you need to bring up morale and uh, work on communication and work on change management. And these experiences, I mean, I have a lot to say uh, about like what it is that we're truly building, like artificially, many people can look at us and say like, oh, you know, we have like mixology classes or Pictionary or like all these different types of experiences. But what we really do is we're humanizing the workplace and culture is something that's very difficult to build. We, we can't 
fully build culture and we can't replace, uh, if I if I may say, crappy culture, crappy culture, toxic culture, that's not something we can fully intervene and do. But when you do experiences like confetti in front of the people that you're working with, and you share a moment of laughter, or you share a moment of vulnerability, that builds on empathy. And that empathy strengthens the workplace. And the next time that you're uh, working on a project with your toxic manager, um, they'll see you a little bit more for who you are, and it will allow you all to work better together. And during those difficult moments, that's more of what the workplace needs. That's a great word to introduce for us too, to bring empathy into it. I have a, a great interest in social selling and B2B and trying to work out how that becomes part of the true fabric and not just spoken about. And with it, I have a belief that leaders make the difference. And if a leader understands what social selling is, then they're able to actually coach, test and improve strategies and tactics with their teams. Then I start to think about empathy. And I'm not saying that my blog post is anything that's grand, but I actually wrote about how do you display empathy when you're social selling? And to be able to bring empathy to what you're doing, as you spoke about it, my first reaction is, the first thing you've got to do is to set out to achieve that. And that's at a base level, illustrating that you care. And in a tough market for any employer trying to actually attract or retain great people, how do you differentiate if work from home, got all the different policies are fantastic, got the good technology, good pay, then how do you differentiate? And that was one of the other things that went through my mind where I looked at the breadth of what you have to support teams building great culture. But empathy is just an amazing word to introduce to the conversation. Is that something that's front of mind for you most days? Yeah, I mean, this is this is the thing that I like live and breathe. I can talk about it for for days. <laughs> so I think the main vision and kind of spirit behind confetti is that we time is our most expensive currency. Like we spend the majority of our waking hours working. And it's become a kind of a sad story that so many of us don't like our coworkers, don't like going to work, don't like the job that we're working for. And it's like, wow, this is like, this is the, this is your life. This is the majority of, of your waking hours. How can we change this? How do we build relationships with the people that we like? And you know, we spend more time with our coworkers than we do often our significant others, than we do our, our kids or our friends. And we choose those, we don't choose our kids, but we, we choose our significant other, we choose our friends, and we, we don't choose our colleagues. And that makes it extraordinarily difficult to build on very healthy relationships and communication. And quite frankly, we're kind of building on uh, a lot of bad habits from the past still. It used to be cool to be the jerk boss. And vulnerability in in the workplace isn't something that's often talked about. And managers have this, you know, connotation or this idea that they're the ones who are in charge, that it's not very democratic, that they're the ones to call the shots, they're the ones to do the performance reviews. HR often has a very bad reputation because people don't build trust with HR. They're uh, not necessarily always an advocate for the people and all of these uh, problems that we don't find solutions for end up creating these environments where people don't enjoy going to work. And I feel like this is a story that needs to change in order for us to build better solutions in this world, because there's there's so many problems to fix in this world. It would be kind of great if we were all really excited to look forward to Monday and not just you know look forward to Friday. 
Lee, is there a continuum here where whilst you deliver events about developing culture, if you're dealing with a potential customer that's looking for an event, that becomes very transactional. But if they're looking for a cultural change or a cultural impact, that slides that event slider right down to the far end. Are there any industries or geographies that you're seeing people embracing the cultural element of engaging with you more than others? Yeah. So, I mean, our our biggest, like our kind of our most popular industry is definitely the tech companies. And I think that's the nature of this beast. You know, what many tech companies are funded, they have these um, generous budgets, and they can they can spend on on culture. They have very competitive recruiting, so they need to capture the best talent. And the best talent wants to work in the best places to work. Uh, so all of that kind of snowballs. But I've been very surprised. One of the things that I've I've actually always made me believe that the market behind confetti is absolutely massive was that if you take a look at all of our customer base, seventy percent of them aren't tech. And they're insurance companies and they're uh, industrial machinery. Like we work with John Deere and like the Caterpillar tractors. And we work with a lot of medical technology and even like little dental offices. And all those things really inspire me. I actually, you know, we work with some of the biggest Fortune 500s, Google, Facebook, Netflix, Spotify, Shopify, you name it. We have really a beautiful list of logos. But the ones that I get like truly moved by these days is like the little mom and pop shop that said, you know, I want to prioritize culture with my team of five, 10, 20 people. And it it really makes me believe that anybody who is an employer and cares about their employees, which, you know, ideally should be everyone could be using our offerings and, um, and they, they should be working on their culture. It should be important to them. That's an interesting perspective because if it is a, a small to medium business, you know that it's not lip service, that they're having to be very specific about how they go and spend their their dollars. So that that's a very interesting view on it. When you opened our conversation today, you spoke about the work you had just begun on strategy. Could you maybe give a, a view into trends and what you're seeing in that horizon one, horizon two world for yourself? Our big kind of questions, you know, again, we were born under the premise to build confetti for the in-person world and virtual events has really opened up a very specific kind of industry that there's still a lot more to discover. Like, I think it's about 15 to 20%, depending on which article you're reading of global companies is fully remote uh, workplaces. And then the big chunk of that is is hybrid work now. Again, depending on the article, you're getting anywhere from 50 to 70%, some even higher. And hybrid today means many different things, but so does remote work. And I'll give you like an example. These flight companies like JetBlue or Delta, the large majority, about 80% of their staff aren't considered exactly remote workers, but they're field workers. These are people that are not usually in front of a computer. As you can imagine, they're pilots, they're flight attendants, their mechanics. And these people need connection back to the culture of the organization. They often have a high churn rate. And uh, these field workers, these remote workers don't want to feel like second class citizens. They want to feel a part of the company, a part of the vision. And there needs to be ways to connect them together. And as technology is evolving and taking me and you as an example, because you're 
you're calling in from Sydney, Australia, if, I'm, uh, if I remember correctly, and I'm calling in from Miami, Florida. Technology really allows us to bridge communications from people that don't regularly see each other. But in, in some places, like uh, I was speaking to Uber the other day, and they're largely in person, but their San Francisco team collaborates with their R&D team in India, and they need to find a way to to build morale amongst these distributed teams. And that's really where we believe in and where we want to double down on. But on the same note, I think that there's some other things that we want to just cross off our plate and make sure that we feel confident with. Uh, One of them is larger enterprise contracts. So we want to get to a place where we find a reoccurring business model where companies are paying us in advance and we can secure potentially, you know, multi-million dollar contracts. And then there's other uh, spaces in the in-person world that we should still consider. One of them being our original vision of helping companies put together events inside the office. And then the new rise of offsites is still something that we again need to need to do enough uh, research to decide, hey, should we stay focused on these virtual experiences or are we missing out on something that we should take a look on? There's a lot to consider and you have a lot already to offer. How do you work out what not to do? Ultimately, I, I'm a very big believer in focus. And that's kind of one of the things that I think startups do very poorly. And if you read kind of the textbooks, the more focused you are really the better. And even by the way, like, that's another strategy that we're considering. Currently, we offer confetti to many different companies. And there are many different people in the organization that currently use confetti, but we're thinking should should we focus on a certain ICP, ideal customer persona. And the textbook says that more focused you are and the more you can narrow down your ideal customer persona, the best. I think ultimately it's doing proper go-to-market research, understanding the total addressable market, understanding the full pains, the opportunities, and B2B businesses and B2C businesses look very different. For B2B, I do believe that if you want to make your life a little easier, you want to try to target a pain point that falls within a a current budget slash line item in the balance sheet. If you're trying to invent a new budget, then that becomes more difficult. Or if the people that would be interested in what it is that you're offering, if there aren't that many of them that exist, uh, that's something worth noting. Um, Just as an example, I recently advised a a startup that essentially rents scooters out to employees. And he I asked him, like, who, who does he target? within these organizations. And he said like, oh, there's like uh, transportation managers. And I said, how many transportation managers like exist in the world? And he was like, I think he said it was something along the lines of 5,000. So to me, 5,000 really isn't that many people that would worry me personally, right? Like if I only, if all of my customers are only 5,000 people, you really need to make sure that each person that you hit has a very high conversion that you're going to you're feeling confident that you can become a very large company again in the venture world there's this pressure and you know philosophy of you have to be not just big like a hundred billion dollar big you have to be billions of dollar big and if you don't suffice that uh, hunger and satisfaction for VCs for them to understand and believe that this is a massive market that can truly transform uh, an industry potentially then it makes things 
trickier for you. You might be a lifestyle business. You might be still a very successful business. You just might not be a venture uh, backed business. And we've had our fair share of even challenges from confetti because most VCs don't understand that there's a very big budget that relates to culture within organizations. And also, I could imagine that people would have a budget that in their own mind, they might attach to culture. In fact, what they're trying to do is to improve the culture. And that would bring a degree of, I suppose, difficulty or challenge or opportunity to your selling exercise. You're precisely right. There's so many different budgets that are being captured with events. So I'll give you just a a handful of examples. There's uh, to high level, you have like, sales and marketing events, which is a completely different beast. And you have like HR related events within HR or potentially without uh, outside of HR, depending on how the company is organizing it, you have diversity, equity and inclusion events or ERGs, which stands for employee resource groups. Uh, And then you have like learning and development, which is uh, each one's a completely different budget. Within that, specifically within HR, you have team events, departmental events, company-wide events. Uh, You could have like wellness events often come from a different budget. Anything that relates to food or catering can come out of a different budget. Depending on what the experience is used for, uh, there are different like line items that are allocated to those needs, which is both a blessing and a curse and makes us feel like we have a lot uh, to work through. But in the spirit of being very focused in those initial few years, the question that we're still asking ourselves, like, should we actually just focus on on one of them very well? Should we only focus on, I'm just making something up, wellness events within the office? That's not our plan. But I know of plenty of companies that only focus on corporate wellness events, and that was their niche. You bring a topic front of mind to me, and that is the balance or the mix of data and intuition. There's arguably too much data available and you get to where you are because you have an understanding. Are you very good or have you been able to maintain a good blend between relying on data and also backing your own judgment? Uh, yeah, I, I actually will argue to say I think more most startups are not as data-driven as they should be. And we really make an effort to find whatever data points ultimately can support the decisions that we have. The times that we don't listen to the data, and I'm, you know, just going to make something up, let's just for the the sake of the, the conversation, but like, let's say you've been building a startup that just let's take it back as the that travel persona, right? You were looking for the travel persona within the organization. Now, because you've been focusing on that travel persona, the data will say that you should con- that the majority of your customers have that title and therefore you should continue to find other people within that title. But if you know that something is inherently maybe wrong with your business, the fact that you know that there's maybe only 5,000 travel folks that have that title in the United States and that that isn't maybe uh, strong enough to support your next steps, that's when you need to bring intuition and say, okay, now what do, what what's what does next look like for me? Do we continue doing that? Do we add on another branch of offerings? Do we sell a vision that 
we're going to revolutionize transportation for employees within organizations and not just help with scooters, but help them with their cars, help them with their metro cards, with their buses, whatever it is that they're they're taking to work, their bikes. Those are questions that you need to start to ask yourself. And I don't, I don't, it's a mixture of like understanding the data and then also adding other pieces of data, but then also saying to yourself, what kind of company do I want to build? And that's a very personal question. You know, not everyone wants to build a billion dollar company. Some people would be very, very happy building a five, 10, 20, $50 million company. And data is going to point you in different directions depending on what your passion is. That's a tremendous framing of it. Lee, this has been a great conversation. I wonder if you could close with a comment around mentors and coaches. And if someone was wanting to get some advice from you based on your experiences as to how they would identify a great mentor or coach, what would be one or two considerations you would offer? Many people will come to startups, and I I take this from my own experience, and say, like, I'm so smart. I know the answer. Listen to me. This is the answer. This is everything. And the reality is, is I usually start my uh, advice and consultation to startups is saying like, hey, this is just my perspective. Take it with a grain of salt. And uh, you know your business better than I do. And those people need to be like, as a founder, you need to be the person that makes ultimately the the difficult decisions with your business. But I try not to uh, use general coaches ever. The only thing that I, I get a therapist, if, if you believe in therapy, which I uh, highly recommend, <laughs> um, you can get an executive coach, um, which I found to be helpful. Um, again, mainly in the spirit of a lot of mental health stuff, but also things that have to do with people development. But then when it comes to advisors, if you're looking for SEO advice, find someone who's an expert in SEO. If you're looking for um, HR advice, find an HR consultant. And that's where intuition comes into play because building a business is so personal. It's, It's the founder's vision. Find people that you've vibe with for for lack of better words, like that you enjoy their company, you believe that what they're saying uh, is aligned with your values. It's adding value to your life, to the way that you're running your business. And that's usually a great indicator for someone that you would enjoy getting mentored or coached with. Um, But I, I really believe that it should be that there should that you should find specific mentors for each problem that you're solving and not general mentors or advisors that can help with all aspects of your business. If you do go in that direction, make sure to do it with a previous founder, uh, CEO level, ideally, who came from more or less the exact or similar industry that you're building out of. That way they can really provide the most amount of value to you from a generalistic perspective. Great dimensions to share and a wonderful place for us to wrap. Lee, thanks for taking the time. I'm excited for the confetti story. It feels like it is a solution and an offering that is so important for companies on every level. So wish you the greatest success and appreciate the time today. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And to uh, any listeners, um, I'm feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I really do try to be of help to anybody that reaches out. And um, you can also find us at withconfetti.com, W-I-T-H, confetti, C-O-N-F-E-T-T-I.com. And thanks for the support and for listening. And I hope it was helpful. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Feedback is always welcome. And I would appreciate introductions to potential future guests to invite onto the podcast. 
But that's it for today. Thanks for listening and bye for now.